Sing Second Sports is a ProVision Advisors production. Let us solve your toughest communication problems and leave your team stronger and more capable for the challenges that lie ahead. Visit www.provisionadvisors.net to learn more. Hey, hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to 2023 and the first pod of the 2023 year from the Sing Second Sports team. I am John Schofield, your host, former Naval Academy PAO, proud Villanova graduate and Annapolitan. Uh, Very happy to be starting our third uh, calendar year uh, recording this pod and bringing you the very best of the Naval Academy physical mission. Joining me is Bill Wagner of the Capital Gazette and Baltimore Sun Newspapers, uh, the beat reporter with the scoop and the most encyclopedic knowledge of Navy sports. And Chris Cervello, class of 99, is our producer. So here we are. It's January 11th, 2023. The last time we talked to you, we talked about how Brian Newberry was the new coach. We promised we would bring you updates on coaching hires and how the staff shakeup would settle out, so to speak. Uh, You didn't miss too much over the holiday break as it's really just basketball. We're unfortunately uh, here to report that the women's team is still winless and continues to struggle as they get into Patriot League play. Um, I know Tim Taylor is trying everything he can to get that first win, and I know that they're going to keep trying hard to get it, but right now they remain winless through this season. And the men's basketball team and we'll talk to Mike Heary later on in this podcast about it in more detail. But they are 8-8 eight and eight and unfortunately riding a three-game losing streak going into tonight's game at Alumni Hall against Lafayette. But the biggest thing that happened between late December and now is that the staff for the Naval Academy football team on the offensive side of the ball and a little bit on defense has come into shape. And Wags, you've been covering this. We were on the press conference announcing Grant Chestnut as the new offensive coordinator. He comes over from having the same position at Kennesaw State. And there have been some other hires in support of that. Unfortunately, with those hires, there have been some very key names let go along the way of note Omar Nelson and Danny O'Rourke. But for more on that, Wags kind of catch us up with how Brian Newberry's staff is coming into shape. And what identity you think this offense is going to have based on the people they've hired? Well, Grant Chestnut is not a surprising hire. I think uh, everyone zeroed in on that pretty quickly. They figured that he might look at Kennesaw State. You know, he he came from an option school. So when he told Chuck Gladchuck, the athletic director, that he had some option coaches in mind, it made sense to look there first. And Grant Chestnut had been at Kennesaw State since uh, the program began with Brian Bohannon. So he had uh, you know, a lot of experience. So that was an obvious uh, person to consider. And obviously he and Newberry went against each other in practice for four years that Newberry was a Kennesaw State as defensive coordinator. So I think it's great to bring someone uh, new ideas, new, fresh perspective. Uh, and Grant Chesnut came out of the box talking about throwing the ball more. And I like some of the things I heard on that front. I think as you did as well, short passing game concepts, maybe throw a screen once in a while, 
Um, he, he's talked about getting the ball in the perimeter. No matter how you have to do it, you have to be innovative and get the ball in the perimeter. If you can't just do it with a slot back pitch every time, there's other ways to get the ball in the perimeter. So I liked a lot of what I heard. And then with regard to the rest of the offensive staff, John, I think probably the real big news is the lack of change overall. I mean, you think I, I knew Ashley Ingram was going to be kept. Um, I must say about Ivan Jasper, but I mean, I, I, I'm not surprised because he's a very talented coach. He's a great quarterbacks coach. The one of the best in the business. I was just surprised because of what transpired last year with Chuck Gladchuck having fired Ivan and obviously expressing displeasure with Ivan. So you kind of thought that that, you know, ship had sailed. But I think what happened is that Chet and Ivan had a long sit down and Ivan explained that he has not had a lot of input into the offensive game plan for the last few seasons. And I think Chet probably really was not aware of that. And it shed a new light on things. So Ivan stays and now he's also going to be coaching the fullbacks, which I'm a little bit concerned about. I mean, that's, a bit, it's a big responsibility to coach the Navy quarterbacks. I'm really liking Ivan focusing solely on that, but he's also now going to coach the fullbacks, uh, but they also kept Mick Yokaitis and Ashley Ingram will remain offensive line coach. You mentioned Danny O'Rourke, who assisted Ingram with the offensive line. He was one of the assistants let go. That's because Chesnut coaches the offensive line. He will now assist Ashley Ingram with coaching the offensive line. And the other assistant, retained was the wide receivers coach Mick Yokaitis and uh you know Brian Newberry had some very favorable things to say about the job Mick Yokaitis has done with the wide receivers so on the offensive side of the ball to me John the biggest thing is not a lot of change there's a new offensive coordinator but very little else and and by the way there's one position yet to be filled uh slot backs coach and I was remiss Joe DePay the slot backs coach also was not retained and Jason McDonald, the fullbacks coach, has been moved into a recruiting role. He's not all on the field anymore. So uh, they do need to hire a slotbacks coach. And I've been told by many sources that Mike Judge, who was here previously coaching fullbacks, could be returning as slotbacks coach after being with the Miami Dolphins for the last six or seven years. Wow. That, that would be a eyebrow, eyebrow-raising hire for sure, Wag. So you know, we, we talked a little bit about personality and, and we asked Grant Chestnut about this during the uh, press conference introducing him. And yeah, I heard the same stuff. I heard maybe you're going to throw the ball 15 times, um, which is pretty exciting. We also asked them about what they're doing in terms of recruiting. That was the other big, you know, event, so to speak, that took place between our last pod and now is that there was a football recruiting day. But not only are your recruits of the future in high school right now important, but I asked Brian Newberry specifically about how much he is recruiting the current sophomores, because right now you have a really critical time in the life cycle of this program, in my opinion, and that the brigade has just come back on the horizon nothing but the dark ages, right? Like that storied time between January and March when it just sucks to be at the Naval Academy. You've just fired the head coach. You've got a lot of tenured guys, uh, including Dupay and O'Rourke, uh, exiting stage left. Yes, it's critical that Ashley and IJ are back, 
But now you've got this critical time period between now and the signing of two for seven that you've really got to get talented sophomores to stay on board with you. Does Grant Chestnut, in your opinion, as you've talked to people in the program and around the industry, is Grant Chestnut kind of a key piece in making sure that the talented sophomores on offense stay in the program after two for seven? Well, yes, and that they want to know the direction of the offense and, and how they fit. But I think more so than Grant is the coaches that were retained because they're the ones that have relationships with these players. So Ashley Ingram and Ivan Jasper and Mick Yokaitis are kind of guys that have been around and know the culture and they can talk to these sophomores. I mean, losing Mikel Haywood was a really tough blow. I mean, that's a, a talented guy. In so many ways, he's your kickoff returner. He's a slot back who is a threat in the, with the ball in his hands on the pitch, but also as a receiving threat. He was a good receiver. So that's a real tough blow. Can't afford to lose Vincent Terrell. Got to keep him on the other side of the ball. You know, you got Johnny Woodson Brooks as a really good linebacker up and coming. Tyler Fletcher already rolled out. He's gone. That's a tough loss as well. He was a guy that you kind of had penciled in as a, a key anchor piece moving forward. And then on the back end, Rayon Lane, the safety, who's quite good. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that you you nailed it, John. Retaining sophomores is absolutely critical. I mean, we talked about the key to the future is that so many young players were forced into action probably earlier than they should have been. But the payoff is that when they grow and mature and have experience. And so you, you don't want to groom these guys for other programs, that's for sure. Yeah, and, and as we close the book on this, Wags, there were also a couple of other hires and retentions, actually, that, that I thought were important. Um, uh, so Eric Lewis and Brenton Wimberly were added to the Navy football staff. Brenton Wimberly will be the defensive assistant linebackers coach, and Eric Lewis will be the uh, defensive passing game coordinator and the safeties coach. In making that hire, defensive line coach Jarek Hall, strikers and Raiders coach Joe Coniglio, uh, cornerbacks coach, one of my favorite people around, R.B. Green, uh, will all be back, including Va'a Niamatololo will be returning as a defensive assistant as well. So, Wags, number one, I I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on Va'a coming back. I think that's a very nice olive branch by Newberry to keep – you know, Kenny's son on staff, that's not just like doing a solid to a football guy. I know that Va has a great acumen for football and has earned his spot, but I just think that that was a significant retention that didn't get a whole lot of press. And then secondly, I, I'd love now, as these hires have been made, as Grant Chestnut is on board, as these defensive hires and retentions have happened, now in the aggregate, how do you, as the beat reporter for this program for so long, but you've only covered a finite number of whole staffing changes, how do you grade this entire uh, change, and what do you think the success rate will be going forward? Well, that's a great question, John. Uh, let me first clean up one other thing on the offensive side of the ball. We failed to main mention Tommy Lauren Dean has been brought in as tight ends coach, which is an interesting uh, words to say on this podcast, tight ends. But uh, Navy introduced tight ends last year, and uh, you know they were used primarily as blockers. And I think the plan moving forward, and this is something else that Chesnut said on his intro presser, was we're talking about tight ends going downfield and catching the ball. And so uh, 
Chuck Peterson coached the tight ends last year. He was the former Air Force assistant that came over. And so Chuck is also gone now. And Tommy Laurendine is a guy with head coaching experience. He's been a head coach at multiple places. He's most recently offensive coordinator at Mississippi College, which ranked second nationally in Division II among, uh, in rushing offense. And Newberry knows Laurendine. Uh, when Laurendine was hired as Sewanee head coach, he hired Newberry as defensive coordinator. So that's the connection there. But that cleans up offense. In terms of the defensive side of the ball, uh, there was a, a, a coach let go. Uh, Crawford, uh, with the safeties coach, was let go. And that's why they needed to find a new safeties coach. And um, the Lewis is the son of Sherman Lewis, who is a very, very well-known NFL coach, offensive coordinator at with four different organizations, including the Green Bay Packers in the glory years of Brett Favre. And so uh, Eric Lewis has quite a pedigree. And he um, looks exactly like his dad. Like when they made the release, like Eric Lewis's picture, he looks, I mean, I literally thought it was Sherman Lewis when I saw him. It's crazy. Well, yes. And I, I mean, I think Eric Lewis is a good solid hire. He's a, he's coached the secondary his whole career. He was a talented defensive back in his playing days. So you know, and he's uh, he's you know, obviously the son of a, an NFL coach speaks volumes. He's born and raised on football. So I think that's a good hire. Clearly, Newberry did not uh, it did not work out with Crawford as the safeties coach, uh, Ryan Crawford, because um, uh, remember last season with all of the uh, long pass plays, John, you knew somebody was going to pay the price for that. And it's going to be it was Crawford. So. Uh, and they're giving Lewis the title of pass defense coordinator, which is interesting. I haven't heard that one before, but clearly Newberry's going to make it a priority to shore up the pass defense. And then the other hire was a, 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 an individual who was at Kennesaw State and played for both Newberry and Chestnut at Kennesaw State. And so that was, a, you know, I would call that a friend hire. Uh, he was a... Uh, graduate assistant at Kennesaw State and also a graduate assistant at Georgia Tech. And he spent the past season, John, at Alabama. So, you know, I, I and, and it's interesting, John, because Jasper is coaching both quarterbacks and fullbacks, it opened up a coaching position that would have been offense. And they decided to move that coaching position to defense. And that's why there's an extra defensive assistant. But lastly, I'll address what you mentioned with Baja Niamatololo. Uh, you may recall a couple times on on pressers during last season, somebody asked about Ba Niamatololo, and he was given a lot of credit. And I think Newberry in particular said he brought a lot of energy. Um, I think they liked some of what Baja brought. The players love him. He's just a real gregarious guy. And, you know, I, I, I think, yes, it was an olive branch to coach Niamat that, you know, I'll keep your son aboard. But Baja's earned his place. Uh, Baja has done a good job. And I I know he's well-liked by the players and the other defensive assistants who have spoken highly of him. Well, it's an interesting new staff. Um, Chris Cervello, our producer, notes that there's still no dedicated special teams coach, which was an area that, that we all think could have improved last year. And I know that there are still hires that will possibly be made in between now and then. But, you know, I, I would say from my perspective, it, very, very interesting new staff. I, I think it, a, it is a very popular move to keep Ashley Ingram. We're all big fans of Ashley Ingram. Our next guest, Mike Heary, and I were able to raise a glass with Ashley Ingram at Mike's house on New Year's Eve. You know, I, I think that 
that it's a very nice mixture of current or old and new, um, you know, with the idea of, of turning around what was a very disappointing year last year. And number one, as you heard Chuck Ladchuk say, you know, win the star and, and get this program back to where it was. Final thoughts, Wax? Well, yeah, I, I, overall, I think that Newberry did a good job putting the staff together. You knew he was going to lean into a lot of his connections from his you know, coaching past, and that's what he did with the Tommy Lauren Dean and Chesnut and uh, Wimberly. Uh, those are all guys that he coached with at some point. Um, what I will mention real quickly, Joe Coniglio has been given the title of special teams coordinator I don't know that he's that he's not a dedicated special teams coach. You're right, because he's already coaching the outside linebackers, but he is being charged with leading special teams. Danny O'Rourke technically had the title of special teams coordinator in the past, but as we know, they divided the, the duties of coaching the various special teams up among various coaches, which I guess will continue. So I guess at the collegiate level, just there's not enough room to have a dedicated special teams coordinator. I'd have to go and look and see how many programs actually have one. It's not quite the NFL where you would have a special teams coordinator who that is their sole focus. Um, but I think Newberry's put a, together a good staff. I, I, I hope there's great chemistry and I hope like you mentioned that there's no, you know, gap as far as recruiting. I think that's why you had to keep some assistant coaches. And I can tell you, there's a very, very, very talented quarterback who had committed to Navy, and I think keeping Ivan Jasper is also uh, a key factor there in retaining that quarterback because he may have rolled out to Army or Air Force had Ivan not been retained. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the expert analysis that you listen to this podcast for. Uh, for more of that and more in-depth coverage of the um, evolution of this new staff, please follow Bill Wagner on Twitter and subscribe to his stories at the Baltimore Sun and Capital Gazette. We are going to go to break. When we come back, we're welcoming in Mike Heary. As we did last year, Mike becomes our coaches show uh, evaluator of how the basketball team is doing. And when we come back, he'll evaluate how this losing streak is going and how we can turn frowns upside down. Stick with us. This is Sing Second Sports. All right, Sing Second fans, a few announcements from our friends at the Naval Academy Athletic Association. Navy men's basketball returns to Alumni Hall Wednesday, January 18th to take on Boston University at 7 p.m., the first 100 fans in attendance will receive a throwback Bill the Goat t-shirt. For tickets, call 1-800-US-4-NAVY or visit NavySports.com. Speaking of basketball, don't miss your chance to catch five great games this basketball season with our Navy Basketball Weekend Mini Plan. For just $50 for adults and $25 for youth, Fans can watch five Saturday Navy basketball games, including this year's Army-Navy doubleheader. For more information and to purchase, call 1-800-US-4-NAVY or visit NavySports.com. Now back to the pod. We are back. Mike Heary, class of 98. He guarded Vince Carter and Andre Miller, no big deal. And now he sits next to the voice of Navy basketball, Pete Medhurst, and provides the expert analysis that you love. Now going on double-digit years as the assistant voice of Navy basketball. Mike, welcome back to the podcast. We're so excited to have you. Talk to us a little bit about 
what you have seen so far in this basketball season when we went to winter hiatus, the season had just begun. Navy was kind of whipping up on, um, on out-of-conference opponents, dropped a tough one to VCU before surprisingly beating Boston University up there, but then the three-game losing streak is what they're in the middle of. What's your evaluation and how, this, how is this team doing in your uh, estimation? Hey John, uh, happy new year and uh, good to be back on the pod here for another, another uh, winter season. Uh, you know, it's, um, it, it, was a, it was a good 2022, I think, overall for, for Navy basketball in the sense of uh, they played a lot of different teams in the non-league, um, different styles of play. I think they overall played, played very well for the most part. Uh, that VCU game, the score is probably not as indicative as, as how well they played. Um, they got off to a good start and then just VCU kind of like, overwhelmed them over the course of the game. And that's always a tough game because it was the, it was the last game before everyone had their flights booked to go home for uh, Christmas break. So that's always a tough one for them. And then they come out of Christmas break and have a probably arguably their most complete performance um, at Boston university with a, a 17 point win where it's certainly their best defensive game, given the quality of the, uh, of the opponent that they've had thus far. And then these last three losses, um, unfortunately, that, that great defense that they played against BU has left them. And uh, I, I, right now, they're a team that, while it's great that they can shoot the basketball at a high percentage from the three-point line and overall from the field, they are not where they need to be to be anywhere near a championship-level uh, team on the defensive end. And I think that's a, a frustrating thing for the staff right now. I agree with you. And before I throw it over to Wags, the the two guys that I've been noticing um, all year long as being difference makers are Yoder and Nelson. Uh, Yoder had, I think, a 22-point game and the loss to uh, either Colgate or to Lehigh. Um, Nelson has been very good and very athletic. And you and I have been talking about him since he was a freshman, that that is not a Patriot League body. Um, that he was kind of next level. And, and I really thought that they would have a third partner in crime this year to help them do that. Now it's been a little bit of Daniel Deaver with some good games. I guess I was really looking at Patrick Dorsey as, as one of the senior statesmen to, to be that sharpshooter from long range and to be that flex guy. What do you think is missing? That's been, that's been highlighted in this three game losing streak. Yeah. I, I think John, one of the things has been, really, in my estimation, the, the inconsistency of Tyler Nelson um, a little bit more than anything else. He had an amazing game against BU, but in this three-game losing streak, there are, there are times within the game where he's not making an impact on the game. And, and for all of his great athleticism, I think sometimes he needs to be more active in, I'll call it, some of those miscellaneous stats, right? Like deflections, and loose balls, and certainly rebounding, assist making. I mean, if he's making shots, he's you know kind of a rhythm player in that he'll play better in other areas of the floor. But if he's not, I, I feel like there's times where you don't even realize he's on the floor affecting the game. So that's one thing. I think um, you know the other thing is Sean Yoder and Daniel Deaver. I think I think they know what they're going to get out of Daniel Deaver night in and night out. I mean, he's close to a double double guy every night. Sean had a great game in the last game against Lehigh, but, you know, he's had his ups and downs, but, you know, he, he was an elite scorer coming out of high school and he's bringing a lot of that scoring right now. Um, I just think that they need to get more consistency out of Tyler Nelson. Uh, Patrick Dorsey off the bench, I think does a very good job. Kind of, 
If he's making shots like he did early in the Colgate game, it's great. Um, if he doesn't, then I think he does a good enough job in, on the rebounding side of things and, 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 you know, passing the ball and moving the ball. But um, I think really what, what, what the team needs is obviously better play on the defensive end. But then I think they need to get Tyler Nelson to a place where he can kind of be that go-to guy and, and be more consistent um, as the league progresses. Mike, your, your analysis is so spot on. Uh, you're right, Tyler Nelson. I expected him to be playing like a first-team all-Patriot League performer and none other than the great Hall of Fame coach Roy Williams, who came to Navy to take in the Colgate game, called out Tyler Nelson to his face and said, "What? you're the best athlete on the floor. Why aren't you getting more rebounds? And so you, you are exactly right. It's not just about scoring points. And I think Tyler's allowing and, and, you know, the fact that he's not scoring at the level he wants to affect other parts of his game. But there's just so many things he could be doing better. I wanted to – you also are spot on with the defense. I mean, Navy is a team that holds opponents, especially within the Patriot League, in the low 60s. That's yeah. their formula. And we're looking at these games, Mike. They've given up 73 points or more in the last three games. I mean, you, you they gave up 87 points to Colgate. So I'm curious, and I hesitate to ask because no one ever said that Mike Heary was uh, defense was came first with him. <laughs> uh, only kidding, Mike. Because uh, I know John likes to say you guarded Vince Carter, but I don't know how well you guarded. There wasn't a lot of guarding. I mean, he, he was there. <laughs> But what, what are you seeing defensively? Where are the breakdowns, uh, Mike? I was thinking about this as I left the game the other day, and Ed harped on defense is not there. we got to get this tightened up. Yeah, so it's, a, it's, it's really three things in my mind. As you think about last year, they had an elite rim protector in Richard Njoku, and he's somebody that was athletic enough to make up for players' shortcomings on the perimeter. So – we're not guarding the ball very well right now. So at the on the perimeter, you watch some of these last few games, and I know Wags, you're right there courtside with us. You know, they are not taking care of the dribbler and the ball handler first and foremost. And they're letting that guy get into the lane too easily, which is creating open shots. And much of the Patriot League, like much of college basketball, is a league of ball screen defense, penetration, kick it out. It's just nonstop, right? And if you're not able to guard the ball well, you're scrambling to close out on shooters. And so these teams that we've lost to in the last three games, Colgate obviously is very talented, but even but Holy Cross and Lehigh, they got into a great rhythm shooting because we couldn't guard the ball. So that's one. Two is not having an elite back rim protector like Richard Njoku. We got to take more charges. So we got to have better rotation Guys coming over, help defense, and if you're not able to guard the ball, someone, your teammates got to be there taking a charge. And for those that don't realize, I took a fair amount of those back in my playing day. So even though I maybe didn't guard the ball very well, there's a lot of charges on the, on the list. But uh, Mike, you're only married to a Duke grad. You don't have to act like you were a Duke <laughs> well, grad the way that I you know. take charges. I probably Come slapped on, the man. floor a little bit too much for Navy legend. <laughs> but I think, that, I think that not having that back end you know, rim protection, you got to make up for it through solid, fundamental health defense and getting outside of that broken circle and taking more charges. Because right now, I know, uh, I know, uh, Dan, excuse me, Sean Yoder took, a, took one against Lehigh. But other than that, there hasn't been a lot of charge taking. And I think that's the thing that creates 
indecision for the offense if they know if I go into that lane out of control, someone from Navy is going to be there. That's that's their three areas I think they got to work on. Last for me, Mike, yeah. uh, Ed DeCellis said something very ominous in his post-game presser after the Lehigh game. He said, we're going to figure this defense out and find out who wants to play defense or else we're going to get different players. Do you see lineup changes in the offense? Well, I, I, you know, I do think that a, a place where I think they could make a change is uh, at point guard. I, I love Austin Benini. He's got a great future. He's had some tremendous non-league games. He has struggled the last three games. And I think Austin Inge is playing into his own enough where his size, quickness, and length can be disruptive in the Patriot League a little bit more at this stage of Austin's career. When Austin plays really well, he looks great. But as soon as he doesn't play well, the thing you notice most about him is he's small, right? It's kind of an interesting dynamic with a lot of players, right? Like when professional athletes don't play well and they're in their early 40s, you say, God, they looked old, right? But if, you know, it's the same, it's the same analogy with Austin. He looks small when he's not playing well. I think he would benefit from coming off the bench, letting the game get started, come off the bench, spell Austin Inge. Austin Inge's on-the-ball defense, I think, is a little better at this stage of Benini's career. That would be one move I would make immediately if I was uh, on the staff or I'd be recommending that to Coach DeCellis. Uh, the, the other areas, I, I mean, there's only so many places you can go. One thing I would say is I think sometimes, like, when Mac McDonald comes off the bench, um, they have some guys, that I think, that can make shots if they can defend reasonably well – I think we tend to leave those guys that can make shots a little too fast. So I think we got some, not that we need the help on the scoring end of things, but I think we could be a little longer leash with a few players that do come off the bench and are playing better, but you can't, you can't go into free agency and uh, pick up uh, anybody at at the moment. Right. So it's a bit of a challenge for the staff. They got to get, they got to get habits in practice. Once you get habits in practice on the defensive end, they translate into games. Um, I certainly can tell you, I wouldn't want to have had a, had a three-game losing streak with Coach DeVoe as my coach because our practices would have been a little bit bloody and a little bit sore after every one of them. Mike, I know that Chris Cervello has a question about a, a little bit of the intangibles that are missing on top of the X's and O's that you broke down, but I, I know that the environment in there is not the environment that you experienced. Chris, go ahead with, with your question, but I'd, I'd, like to, I'd like to pull the string on that. This sounds like the classic old retired guy, but I do think about, I mean, I went to almost every home basketball game for, for four years and enjoyed watching you and your teammates play. And I think of the, the energy, not just in alumni hall. And we've talked about that many times on the pod, but the player energy, I mean, you could feel and see the emotion from you, from Hassan Booker, from others. This is a very sedate team when you watch them is is that fair and and uh and it's not a criticism but but i do wonder if that hurts them as they you know tend to fade either late in the game or or you know run into these mid-season slumps i wanted to get your thought on the personality of this team and and one how that affects how they play you know in critical moments and two how that affects their relationship with the fan base in in sort of bringing more people to alumni hall and, and making it that you know electric uh, atmosphere that that you know you played in for so many years 
Yeah, Chris, it's a fantastic point. Um, I think there's a there's a lot that could be talked about relative to this point. Um, certainly, between myself and Book, and and you know, really the two of us, maybe a few others. I mean, I I played with a lot of emotion, right or wrong. Sometimes it got me in trouble, but most of the time it was it was to the benefit of our program. And I think that kids today, um, in general don't always play with that same level of fire and emotion. I mean, if you watch other division one college basketball games around the country, even at the high major level, you oftentimes don't see, you know, guys making big plays and pumping their fists or doing things to, you know, get the crowd into the game or whatever to create energy and enthusiasm. And I think sometimes that's just a, a, a something that is exists in, in, in youth sports and in, in this generation of player a little bit. That being said, I think that the team doesn't have that fiery, fiery vocal leader or fiery leader to say, you know, look, ultimately the buck stops with the players. These coaches have recruited them. They've set up the, the, the game plan. They know what they need to execute on. And it's incumbent upon the players to take a little more ownership in the program. I've always believed that it's it's the players program as much as it's the coaches program. And to your point, I don't think you see that on the floor uh, to the same level that that maybe you observed in the past when, when we played. Um, some of that, I think, again, is is the day and age today, but some of it is the makeup personality-wise of these guys and that they don't have that type of a player, which, which, again, in crunch time, someone's got to want the ball. I'll leave, you know, and this is an X and O thing, but it relates to your point, is the last four minutes at the last media stoppage that we had against Lehigh, you know, it was a one-possession game. And – at that time, Daniel Deaver was having a great game. I don't think Daniel Deaver got a post touch in the last four minutes of the game. He had 23 points in the game. And we, and we run our offense through Daniel Deaver for 36 minutes. I mean, he literally, they play through him. The last four minutes, he's got to touch the ball in the post. Even if they double team, he's the best passer in the Patriot League. So it's it's execution. It's players. It's Deaver st- saying to the staff, "Get me the you know what ball, and and I'll take care. I'll take care of making the right play." So all of that I think feeds into your question, Chris. And it's it's certainly a point. It's something I've observed for 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 many years with the program. Yeah, I completely agree, Mike. I I, I think that the the environment and alumni is so sterile. You know, the picture that we used uh, for our pod uh, this week as we posted is the picture of you and book like holding the Patriot league trophy and kissing it. And, and to bring that emotion back into that building, I, it's a chicken and an egg conversation. Do you need the mids in there? And do you need more of the environment or more of the, uh, you know, the local um, yeah. Annapolis neighborhood, you know, sponsor parent, it's something beyond just staff, faculty, and and random people coming in. How do we fill those seats? How do we make the Wi-Fi better so that mids can actually feel like they can come in there and be on their phones at the same time? You know, and will that provide the energy that gets that team back to that next stepping well, stone? I, I'm not sure. Yeah, John, I would just say to that point, I know you didn't have a question in there, and I know we got to run here, um, but to that point, to, to that point, though, John, I just want to say that, that what, need, what I've always said is the athletes at the academy have to take onus upon it, meaning if there's 1,500 varsity athletes, I don't know, what's the number, 2,000 of the 4,000 play a varsity sport, one of the things that's 
people don't realize is that book and I and our teammates, we would go to the women's soccer game in the fall. We would go to the lacrosse games. We would go to the sprint football games. And we did that to cheer them on with the expectation that, Hey guys, when it's our turn, you'll return the favor. And there was that synergy amongst just the athletes themselves within the Academy that needs to be, you don't need to worry about the other, other 2000 or however the number is of people that never played a sport or at the Academy doing their thing. Fine. God bless them. Do your thing. But all of us are in the same boat because the environment at tennis is not nearly as good as at basketball. You know, so just support each other and make a commitment to doing that. And if you get 500 of the 1500 athletes showing up to different sporting events, it changes the whole dynamic because they know what it's like playing that sport. That's what needs to happen. Instead of worrying about trying to get a thousand from a couple of battalions that don't even care about being there other than free Chick-fil-A. Incredibly good analysis of the X's and O's and everything else beyond. Well, Mike, you know, this, this team gets to stay in the state of Maryland for a good period of time before traveling up to army on Saturday, January 21st, Mike, Let's do it here for number three. I know as a Bills fan that you watched with your heart and your throat uh, when DeMar Hamlin went down. Our next guest, Jeff Webb, and I were talking in real time as the uh, DeMar Hamlin drama played out on the field there. I know that, uh, that you joined Bills Mafia and being so happy that he's uh, better. But as I let you go, what were your thoughts as that whole thing played out? Yeah, it was it was a very scary, obviously, um, and emotional. And uh, look, I I'm tied to Western New York and that fan base and and that that team. The connection with Western New York is is unique in all of professional sports. So, uh, you know, it's great that he's doing well and he's back in Buffalo and back at the local care at Buffalo General. And uh, you know, I think hopefully. This will be a yet another of many rallying points for, for the Bills, as, I, as I'm a fan of them uh, equally as much as Navy. And, uh, but, yeah, it, was, uh, it really puts kind of life on pause when something like that happens, for sure. I know how to pull it, Mike Curious heartstrings, ladies and gentlemen. Mike, thank you for your analysis. He'll be back with us, ladies and gentlemen, in two weeks as we evaluate how the team continues to do and to break down the Army result. Mike, you, Mike thank you so much for joining Sing Second Sports, and we'll see you soon. Yep. Thanks, John. Appreciate it, guys. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to head to break. When we come back, we're talking to the CEO of the Naval Academy Alumni Association and Foundation, Jeff Webb. Stick with us. This is Sing Second Sports. As we take this quick break, I want to remind you that the Kid Shipman Club is the official kids club of Navy Athletics. For just $20, your membership includes exclusive gifts, free tickets to Navy sporting events, a birthday card from Bill the Goat, and more. To register, visit NavySports.com. Now back to the pod. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Uh, as we go out today, we have a great returning guest, Jeff Webb, the CEO of the Alumni Association and Foundation. Uh, Jeff, I, I made reference to you before you and I were sharing some texts during the week, particularly as the DeMar Hamlin drama played out as we were watching live on TV and talking to each other about it. Um, you know, as Mike said, a very heartwarming moment, um, not only as a sports fan, but as a leader um, you're leading a great organization, and I know that you've got an exciting uh, spring uh, or winter and spring ahead of you. You know, what can you tell us about how your first real six months on the job went and how your next six months is going to play out? 
Sure, John. Well, first, I need to comment on your uh, your skill and intuition as a communications professional, because as we were texting back and forth in real time, you know, I, I think you might have initiated a text to me or vice versa, basically in the moment when it happened, when we're trying to figure out what's going on. And within minutes, you commented, the NFL needs to cancel this game like right now. And if only they had been listening to you and, and taking your counsel, they wouldn't have the PR challenges they, they've had for the last week as this story <laughs> unfolded. So uh, for hats off, for, for going, obviously you had immediate concern uh, for the player, but you also had your comms hat on in the moment, which, uh, hey, hey, good work. Well, that's, that's what we do. Um, I do think that the right decision was made in the end, but yeah, it, 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 it called into, it, it reminds you that communications is always at the front end of what you have to do and, and your ability to do that in a crisis, you know, is, is emblematic of how well you run that organization. Now I won't use this as a pulpit for either bullying or, or criticizing the NFL. They've had their public affairs challenges and they've had their public affairs victories, but in the end, you know, I, I think the cancellation of the game, the further like total postponement of the game was the right play. And they've snatched a little bit of PR victory from the uh, from the jaws of defeat. But, you know, as a leader, you were making the same comments to me, you know, that, you know, that this is a very important moment for that organization. You know, you're running you're running a very important organization yourself. So I know that that wasn't lost on you. Right. Uh, but back to your, your question at hand. So I, I came in here seven months ago, very excited because I knew I was joining at an inflection point where we're moving to the Alumni Center. I mean, people might get tired of hearing about it, but I tell you what, it's exciting for us to have a new home for our team of 90 people and our alumni to be able to host alumni and events and, and just do things that simply aren't possible today or, or events that we now have to host on the yard that we could host ourselves. So we're highly focused on making that transition in a quality manner and just getting set up quickly uh, to, to have people in-house with us. So I, I came in knowing that was on the, the radar. And then we're going through these planning processes where we're looking at how we're supporting the Naval Academy on one hand. We're looking at how we're supporting our alumni on the other hand. So that's been ongoing since I started. And then like any new leader, when you come into an organization, you just need to get your team staffed, organized, um, aligned. And we've been working on all that. So I'm extremely excited to announce, it's come out just yesterday, that we have a new executive vice president coming in, TJ Grady, class of 96, one of your former hosts. He did a nice job on this podcast. But he is going to join us in a month to lead our engagement in communications effort. We just couldn't be more excited to have him coming. So, yeah, TJ, what an awesome guest. And, and I knew him very well as the depth aunt. And I've, I'm very happy to have remained in contact with him as he's retired. And, and what a great addition. You know, we, we talk about what the physical mission gives you. And TJ being, you know, a team captain of that 96 soccer team. And I'm always partial to the guys who play footy, of course. But, you know, bringing that in is, is so key. Um, and and you, you've got an exciting spring, right, Jeff? You know, it, it goes beyond just March when you, when you welcome in a whole new set of distinguished grads to, increase, to include Cecil Haney and Admiral Stavridis among 
many other deserving others. You've got a new superintendent, you know, who has yet to be named, but will probably be in place come July. So your next seven months, you know, look just as challenging as, as your first seven months and more exciting because at the end of that seven months, you're possibly opening a building. So I right. know this week you've been calling out to donors and thanking them for their continued support of the Alumni Association. How has that been going? And, and do you really kind of feel the momentum going forward with all this exciting stuff in the spring? Yeah, absolutely. I'm very glad that I came on when I did. It'd be very difficult to be starting this summer instead of last summer with everything that's in motion right now. So getting the experience and, and learning and working with the team, it's been a tremendous benefit to have come in when I did. So yeah, I, I feel it. The team feels that we had an all hands yesterday. We get together in person, our whole team every month, which may not sound like a big deal, but we're spread out in five different buildings and it's, it's not easy to get us all together, but we do it because it's important. And absolutely the energy is there. And this week you referenced this, man, you, you really got us down. It's the week of gratitude for us where we're reaching out to, to donors, large and, and small, who support us and support the Naval Academy. And we're doing it by email, text, and phone calls. Um, I sat yesterday with my team, a bunch of teammates for two hours. And we just, we called, I called 52 people in those two hours and talked to about half of them. And we just simply said, thank you for what you do for us in the Naval Academy. And you elicit these great stories where people immediately start talking about what the place means to them. I talked to one gentleman from a class of 65. And for whatever reason, he started talking about being on the diving team when he was here. And I told him where I had moved from before I came to Annapolis in Haverford, Pennsylvania. And he's like, oh, yeah, in my last diving competition, the guy who got third place was from Haverford. And I said, how in the world do you know that? And he knew the top six people and two of them were twins and you couldn't tell them apart. And he had this whole story. It's like, good Lord, I, I can't tell you, you know, what I did yesterday, you know, what I had for breakfast yesterday. And here he is, however many years later, just very fondly recalling his time as a midshipman and his time on, on the diving team. So that's what you get to do in, in my job when you just get in the mix and start talking to alumni. Well, we, lo we love the stories, Jeff, that's for sure. Uh, Wags, anything from your end? Well, real quickly, I, and I, John touched on this, I apologize, uh, but goals for the 2023 year, what are the goals, the primary goals for the Alumni Association? Well, we, we always have goals to support the Naval Academy. So we have fundraising goals that we work against. So that's there for sure. Um, you know, we have goals related to revisiting everything we're doing programmatically for our alumni. So through this planning process I described, we're taking a wire brush to every aspect of how we serve our members, most of whom are alumni, but also include parents and friends. So our goals are to complete that process uh, so we can decide what we need to start doing, what we need to stop doing, and how we're going to measure our effectiveness. We also have a lot of internal goals that people may not be interested in, but for me, there are some cultural goals that I have and some things that really just tie into HR and environment and culture that really matter to me and our team, that we have an inclusive environment, not just for our alumni and anything we're involved with, but for our staff, that people are getting proper training and support and that um, 
you know, we're, we're supporting a leadership institution and we need to be well-led and we need to eat our own cooking when here we are trying to support what happens with midshipmen. Our employees deserve that as well. One last one for me. Uh, you know, there's been a bit of a transition with the Alumni Association with you succeeding, by, succeeding Byron, who did such a good job. And then, you know, I think of some of the old guard. When I think of Alumni Association, I think of Skip Hallworth and Dave Church, and they're the yeah. old guard, and these these gentlemen have retired. Perhaps you could uh, tell the listeners who are some of the key people you now rely upon, you know, that are in the upper echelons of the Alumni Association, who are your lieutenants, who are, are absolutely critical to the mission of what you do. You know, it's funny. I, I knew Skid Hayworth. I worked with him before. Dave Church He's given tours on the yard, and he's still around. And when I think back to when I first met them, and began working with them as a volunteer, you know, they weren't that much older than some of the people we have right now. So it, you might think of them as the old guard, but hey, we, we all got older together. And so uh, the, the new guard is the same age as the old guard was when they were in their jobs in, in many instances. Um, but, you know, to answer your question, who, who do we have? So I'm class of 95. And when my, Byron, I think was a little bit older when he started in this role, but his predecessor, George Watt, from the class of 73, he was the exact same age as I am right now when he started. Um, so I'm not unprecedentedly young for this job, even though I probably seem that way to a lot of people I meet for the first time. But we've got uh, Captain Wes Huey, class of 77 with us, who, or sorry, class of 87. And he's been leading our communications team and is involved with a lot of our legacy programs and engagement efforts such as the DGA program. We've got Dr. Sophie Loomis, class of 99, who's a senior leader for our, our engagement team. We have folks like uh, John Rutter, class of 1978, By Byron's classmate, who uh, is one of our foundation colleagues. And then we have you know, several other gentlemen from the 70s and 80s, including Rusty Yeiser, Dan Quattrini, working on the, the foundation team as well. And in addition to that, we have spouses of alumni in various parts of the organization. So we've got some fantastic ties, a lot of teammates who are grads, a lot of teammates um, who are married to grads, and a lot of folks who meet neither of those, but uh, they just love the place. They, they love being part of this community and supporting it, whether they went here or not. Well, uh, count us as part of that community of people who love this place and, and love talking about it. And next week, we, we get to talk to Don Hughes and Jeff Johnson of the Athletics and Scholarship Programs. You know, and we'll continue this, ladies and gentlemen, as we go into the winter and spring of 2023 to help you further get to know your alumni association and all the amazing things they do. This is my call to action to you, the listeners. Give the Alumni Association a follow on Instagram and on LinkedIn. Follow Sophie Loomis on LinkedIn. You know, the videos and the photos and the engagement that all of these guys do to include the call outs, you know, at the day of gratitude yesterday, it just shows you how much they are on the grindstone, like making it happen for the betterment of this institution. And we thank Jeff Webb for what he continues to do. And congratulations to TJ Grady. We love it when good things happen to footy players. Jeff, any parting words as we go out? Yes, you mentioned TJ. He is an athletic and scholarship program trustee which is an element of our foundation. And the Athletic and Scholarship Program supports the athletic mission at the Naval Academy. 
and to provide scholarships to students coming into the Naval Academy, those who don't go to NAPS but might need another year for one reason or another. And you mentioned Don Hughes. He is the leader of that group. Don Hughes, class of 88, former chop at the Naval Academy, former football player. And you mentioned him, and I didn't mention him. And Don, I'm sorry, but uh, you know he, he's an important part of our team as well. No, they, they get their own show next week. You know, I don't want to pump Jeff and, and Don up too much. But yeah, yeah, ladies and gentlemen, great stories out there in this Alumni Association. And we'll continue to bring you the context as we go into 2023. Jeff, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Congrats to TJ. And we'll have you on again as we get into March to talk about the uh, DGA ceremony and a little bit more about all of these very deserving uh, inductees. Great. We'd love to. Thank you, John. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's Jeff Webb of the Alumni Association of Foundation. We're going to go to break. When we come back, Chris Wags and I are going to bring this baby out. This is Sing Second Sports. One more set of announcements from our friends at the Naval Academy Athletic Association. This weekend, Navy will be hanging women's basketball legend Jade Geist's jersey from the rafters. The January 14th contest, which begins at 2 p.m., will feature the midshipmen taking on the Loyola Greyhounds. In addition, the women's basketball team will be signing autographs following the completion of the game. For tickets, call 1-800-US-4-NAVY or visit NavySports.com. And finally, mark your calendars for Saturday, January 28th as the Navy men's basketball team hosts Kids Day. Activities include post-game autographs with the men's basketball team, a face painter, and tattoo artist, and the first 200 fans will receive a free Naval Academy puzzle. For tickets, call 1-800-US-4-NAVY or visit NavySports.com. Now back to the pod. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. What a good podcast. A little bit long, but great uh, context from Jeff Webb at the Alumni Association about what 2023 looks like from their end. Uh, always happy to talk to Mike Heary. Um, and again, please follow Wags and the stories that he's writing as the football staff continues to develop and as the basketball teams continue to compete. There will be much more than just basketball as the winter uh, comes into shape. There's already been wrestling um, and, and honors for wrestling. Swimming topped Towson um, in the first of four straight weeks of mids for men's and women's swimming. Um, and Pretty soon, down the line here, we have lacrosse season. Congrats to Jackson Bonnets and Patrick Skalniak uh, for being named preseason All-Americans by USA Lacrosse Magazine. Uh, congrats also to Jacob Kozer, who was named the NAAA Athlete of the Week. And welcome back to all of the midshipmen um, as they embrace the second semester in the dark ages for you first-season seniors out there. Good luck keeping your eye on the ball. For your SWOs, I know ship selection is on the horizon, and we will have some special coverage of ship selection night as well. Chris Cervello, over to you. I know WAGS just went over to uh, cover the press conference for Paul Johnson being selected to the National Football Foundation College Hall of Fame. So we give WAGS a pass on the close today. But any closing thoughts from you before we go out? Well, John, I'm excited. Uh that, you know, the football uh, coaching staff is just about solidified. Um, you, you know, we, you guys did a great job in that opening segment. So I won't 
won't beat that too much, but uh, as a fan and as a member of this podcast, it's uh, it's exciting to already start to think about spring ball and what uh, the opener against Notre Dame in, in Ireland is going to be about. You and I spent some time yesterday doing our own little planning about what that trip would look like and how we were going to spend some time over there and how we would cover that game. So uh, very excited about that. And, uh, y- you know, that, that segment with Mike Heary, um, you know, three losses is tough. And, and this has kind of become the, at least from my perspective as a fan, a little bit of the norm for the basketball team in that they show a lot of potential at the beginning. You, you get very excited and then, you, you know, they, uh, they hit some midseason adversity. Um, it's a long season. So, uh, you, you know, certainly not uh, down on the guys. I, I just hope that they can use uh, tonight's game and the games that are coming up to, uh, to turn that around. Uh, and then I'm already starting to think about spring uh, and what spring on the yard will be. We haven't talked to Cindy Timschel in a while. Uh, every time I talk to Coach Timschel, I get motivated and uh, and excited. Uh, and then lastly, I'll say this week, I believe, uh, Karen Gabera's birthday. So happy ba- uh, birthday to Coach Gabera. Uh, you, you know, she's out uh, headed to Florida, I think, this week to do uh, some recruiting. Um, so, uh, you, you know, again, not too early to start thinking about the fall season and uh, our, uh, our women's soccer team. Yeah, I would love to get uh, Karen and OD's perspective on everything that happened with the World Cup and particularly the post-World Cup drama with U.S. men's soccer and Gio Reyna and his parents doing the epic, like, tell the teacher routine on him. But that'll be content for a uh, for another pod down the line and i agree with you these you know this is mid-season adversity for the men's basketball team hopefully it won't be a season-long adversity um, as it's looking to be for the women's team um, because the dark ages can be a lot darker if these two teams start hitting the skids Uh, We'll continue to bring the analysis and the coverage of the basketball teams and wrestling and swimming and all of the other winter sports as they go into full speed here in January and February. And as we go out, ladies and gentlemen, I will be remiss if we did not have a quick moment to recognize Hunter Brown, the Air Force Academy offensive lineman who died on Monday at the age of 21. He was just walking to class and had a medical emergency for Those of you who know Naval Academy sports uh, and current or recent events, this is something that hits very, very close to us. Uh, So we would be unprofessional if we did not make note of this and tell Hunter Brown and his parents, Candace and Dustin, that we are thinking about them. You know, like we talked about with Mike Heary in in regard to to the DeMar Hamlin situation, We're covering sports and we love talking about sports, but in the end, this is all just about human beings. And we lost one this week um, at the Air Force Academy. So our hearts go out to Hunter Brown's family. For Chris Cervello and Bill Wagner, I am John Schofield. Thank you to Jeff Webb and Mike Keery for joining us this week. We look forward to having you next week when we talk to Kip Simons, uh, his gymnastics team captain, Don Hughes and Jeff Johnson of the Uh, athletic and scholarship programs, and Bill Wagner about the updates in all the winter sports. I am John Schofield. We'll see you next week. We're out. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own and don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association, the United States Naval Academy, 
or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show and from time to time will be part of the podcast segment. 